0: On the Guelph Jazz Festival website. Uh, we're going to take you to our regularly scheduled programming more or less in just a moment. Uh, a quick note on that front actually, uh, the show Android's Dungeon, which is normally on the air from 1 to 2 p.m., was preempted from that spot today so that we could do our Club Days broadcast. It will follow next on the schedule and after that the schedule will, re- will return, will return to normal. Thank you. It is no surprise that one of CFRU's longest running and most popular programs is Clan de We feature
1: two hours of the best Celtic music from around the world and around the corner. Listen on Sundays after the BBC World News at noon. Tune in and get your
0: fill of fiddles, whistles, banjos, mandolins, barons, harps, Flutes and wonderful voices, and of course, let's not forget everyone's favorite Celtic musical instrument, the bagpipes. Clanley Gale is the most bagpipe friendly show on CFRU FM 93.3. Join me, John Fahey, on Sundays and start your own Celtic kitchen, Kayleigh. Following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes.
1: On today's episode of Android's Dungeon, getting into games. What happens when somebody asks you? Do you like games? Have you played this? An 18XX. Trains! Choo 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 choo. Stay listening. Welcome to CFRU ninety three three FM, Androids Dungeon, a show about games. People play games, music, movies, whatever. Saw or what do we ever we saw when going into the studio that day? So, saw saw the movie. Saw great series, outstanding, tons of fun. Loved every one of them. Actually, the first saw I didn't mind. I, I thought it was actually pretty interesting. All things considered, but uh, I went tubing the other day, and it was dark by the time we got out, and we
0: had <laughs> hidden our stuff in the woods. Yeah. Uh, and we were having trouble finding it. It was getting really dark, <laughs> and I knew that I had put it next to a shed somewhere, like a, a shed in the woods. Okay. And to make things better, the, the person who I was searching for our stuff with started telling me a story about an Australian horror movie that was just like, well, I won't say just uh-huh. like Saw, because there were no games to escape right now. Was it
1: like uh, Wolf River or uh, yes. whatever? Yes, you know yeah. It's like it's a I think it's a pretty competent film, but so.
0: Yeah, so we're just cruising along and they're she's telling me the story. Well, I'll spoil her a little bit of Wolf River, maybe just the beginning. Was it Wolf River? Is that what it's called? Um Wolf something. You're on it. It's yeah. it's Wolf and there's maybe I don't know White Wolf Canyon or something like that, but it's it's the area <laughs> yeah, that yeah. they're in in
1: Australia. Yeah. I'm just going to look it up. Keep talking.
0: Yeah, so they're cruising along and uh you know, start hanging out in no, a field and the farmer comes along and says oh you guys can stay here that's fine but uh you know w- w- what are you what are you guys drinking and there's well, wolf we creek just- wolf creek wolf creek that's it and they're like well we just got all this alcohol and then he's like well you know you're gonna get dehydrated if you drink all this alcohol so i have a you know a reservoir over there and if you want to help yourself yeah so sure enough they go drink some of the water and they get drugged and this is actually a true story yeah, it's you know, basically a story like, true story yeah. So they drag their all wake up separate and, you know,
1: insane m- measures of how they get tortured to death and this and that. And it, it's a very bleak film, in this, not in the sense that. Because one of my favorite movies is. Our favorite horror films is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I think. Have you seen it? Yeah. It. It, two is just the best no. two is a bizarre film just absolutely wild. strange it's difficult to imagine it got made to be honest but, uh, but but that's where the rob zombie has a thousand corpses <laughs> stuff comes from it's yeah. Just like anyway uh I, what i love about the first texas chainsaw massacre is that it accurately captures i, I think we've talked about this before but actually accurately, accurately captures the dream we've all had of being chased non-stop by something that, and just as soon as you think you're going to get away, it's things there, go wrong yeah. and you're back right where you were. And it, it's just this constant nightmare. And I think that's what's, and it's incredibly well shot too. When you break it down in the, the art direction, the sound direction and the costumes and just the, the pure deranged genius that goes into this flick. It, I think it's incredible. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, and anyway, I did Speaking manage to get into the woods and it was kind of spooky because it was, it was actually a water shed or a a water <clears> pump house. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what, why those need to exist or what they do, but, uh, you know, water goes from somewhere to somewhere else. Yeah. Anyway, we, I walk into the woods. It's not where I thought it was. And yeah. then it's in like by somebody's mansion. Like it's not even near a road. And then, <laughs> and just as I'm walking by it, it turns on. <laughs> it just freaked the hell out of me. But <laughs> I made it out. Oh, but I thought it would be funny if I went back there and
1: it's, there's no shed. Joel. What shit are you talking about? What house were you talking? There's never been a house around that area. Dun, 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 dun. In fact, there was never a river to begin with. You just <laughs> I don't know Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I remember Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two. Uh,
0: one of the best parts is um, what's the mask guy's name? The- Leatherface. Leatherface, yeah. Leatherface has got the girl captured in uh in like a cooler, and she's uh she's like sitting on some ice, and he's hacking away with his chainsaw through the ice to yeah. her yeah. and <laughs> Her legs are open, and she's how bad are you? And she's just like she's just egging him on, like yeah, yeah, yeah. getting him all excited. Yeah, she's like, I want to know how bad you
1: are. And yeah, he gets he freaks out and just goes off hacking all of this other stuff and forgets about her. And then there's I don't know if it's before or after that part, but there's another scene where in order to like sort of I don't know if she's seducing him of yeah, some sort, but absolutely. she like takes someone else's face and puts it on top of hers or one of his faces. And I don't, think,
0: I don't know if she's seducing him so much as winning him over. When he's about, yeah, like yeah, a yeah. small
1: child, yeah. yeah he is, he's he's mentally deficient, and this is like her like trying to I don't yeah. know bring it like just you like work the for f- me now you work for me now right <laughs> <laughs> so I I think anyone who hasn't seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre too I'm not going to say rush out and see it it, it was on space growing up uh, back when space used to show movies of varying quality like it didn't have to be outstanding stuff or or like I don't want to say uh, mainstream but <laughs> stuff that it's like if you were watching this they knew exactly who you were <laughs> that's what it was but. Uh, believe it or not, Android Dungeon doesn't just talk <laughs> about uh, cannibalistic chainsaw murders uh, on the, the get-go. Joel, what have you been playing recently? I got uh, <coughs> recommended Grim Dawn. I've been playing that. That's a good game. Talk but, about Grim Dawn. Yeah. What, describe the genre of game. It's a computer game, by the way. Um, I'm not sure. what. I guess it's an RPG. Action RPG? Yeah, a RPG. Action RPG. Yeah. Similar
0: to Diablo, I'm not sure I like the the genre i at first, I was like, "Well, this is really interesting. you mm-hmm. know you've got tons of skill trees fluid what is it called fluid fluid uh what's your what's your uh when you're an archer or you're a um caster or whatever that class fluid class system mm-hmm. so you can for twenty five bucks, which is nothing." Not dollars, like in real life, but in coins. In game cards. Remove currency. a skill that you've learned. And all the skills are available all the time. So if you wanted for like 2500 bucks or something crazy cheap, because
1: there's, there's really nothing to buy in the game, hmm. um, you can just remove all your skills and skill up somewhere else. So is that so? You're saying what you start with all your skills active, but in order to specify in this case, you get rid of things, so you're no longer as good at doing like you can't do this, but now you're better at doing that.
0: Yeah. So each each skill that you can learn scales up to like you can learn it up to 12 or mm-hmm. something so it gets better and better the more mm-hmm. you do you can for 25 just go minus 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 until it's zero and let's say you've been skilling up druid classes and you've got like 5 or 6 things that you can do as a druid you can
1: remove all of them mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you can move over to fighter and start skilling that up alright so without going we've we've kind of gone to the other side here getting really specific about the way the class systems are handled and skills but what's yeah. the theme what's the, the, the so we it's an action RPG what universe is it in
0: I'm not really sure I didn't really read any of the stuff. Just avoiding uh, the flavor text think, and the lore. Yeah, I think I think the game is generally the world is bleak, and you are marching through, and there's one haven, and you're trying to make more. And so the, as you go out into the world, you destroy whatever monsters are occupying a certain city, and then
1: eventually people will come back there. Okay, so is there an, it's kind of a city building aspect, or is it just like clear this, and then people are there? I think uh, I think when you encounter a living person
0: out there in the world, you can make choices and send them to communities. Oh, okay. That's kind of cool. And what's the
1: difficulty level like?
0: Uh, too easy. Too so easy. I got... Uh, I just chose a spell and it would one-hit anything that I was encountering because <laughs> I just Could maxed just spam it, right? it? Yeah. It's kind of like the idea of min-maxing, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like I picked an area-of-effect spell because obviously you need area-of-effect in things where there's big groups. Yeah. And just it's just a swarm of bees or flies <laughs> oh or something. God. <laughs> oh god. Oh god. They just fly at everything and then it dies. And if it doesn't die, it's a dot and it dies <laughs> yeah, after yeah, like yeah, three yeah. seconds. You know, there's a couple terms we're throwing out here. So AoE area of effect just means that it doesn't hit a single target. It hits wherever, you know, if it's a line, if it's a cone.
1: It's like draw a circle a on circle. the and anything in that circle is going to get smoked. Yeah,
0: I I think that's my favorite is like if you're talking about what area of effect is your favorite, I really like circles that you can drop somewhere oh circles around you are fine feels good too and it's a higher skill thing too it's like doom, doom, especially if there's like a slight delay well, like, you need to predict what's the first thing you're thinking be? of
1: war three like Don't wand know. of uh, display or uh, dispelling or something or yeah. like when you have this like and it just there's always like usually in my experience there's a nice feedback too it's like yeah. it just feels good
0: to do it especially if it lasts a while like uh, the fire one for the archmage or the blizzard or, or and summoning so it, like kind of catch guys in it, and then they're like scrambling to get out, yeah. while you're bopping at them. It's yeah. Good. but yeah, Jack. I, I think from what I've encountered, because I went from that one to another AOE, which was just like your either two handed melee or your two handed range weapon mm-hmm. um, scatters, so it it hits a guy, and then it'll do lightning to everything around it. <laughs> It, and what what's the, is it, like, ridiculous how it just, like... Well, it can jump three or four, but then you level that up, and then there's, like, four other trees that just make that one thing better. Yeah. So I removed all my other skills and only got that, and yeah. then I just walk into a thing, and I hit it twice, and
1: everything dies. And then a the boss maybe takes four or five of oh, them. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> is there any dodging mechanics at all, or is it just, like, Diablo in the sense, if something's going to hit you, it's going to hit you? And... Yeah, I think that's the main problem, is that uh, every attack... Every enemy attacks the same way,
0: And mm-hmm. that... Uh, Melee guys will have some kind of dash to get close to you, yeah. and then they'll start bopping you. Yeah. Uh, range guys will sometimes have, like, they'll freeze you, or they're just shooting at you from a distance. Yeah. And that's it. They've got, like, two types. Some bosses have had, like, a kind of, like, a, like, a, what do you call it? Like, a, a little bit of a bullet hell. Right. Where they'll shoot out in kind of patterns. And you could dodge them, but if you let them hit you, it's absolutely fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's everything you're describing. Like, I have I have heard it's too easy. Is there a difficulty? Like, can you choose it? Yeah, I think you can crank it up. Yeah, You might have to. But it might almost be in this situation where it's like, okay, to offset the difficulty, it's like they give you more experience or more gold or something, even though from what the sound rarer of it, gold items, rare items. Yeah. So it's almost like the game gets even easier. Yeah. Which was, that was my issue with Fallout 4, was that, I'd be playing it, and I cranked up the difficulty instantly because I heard it was too easy. And it was. I was just getting these legendary weapons so often that <laughs> I just started looking at them. It's like, oh, this is something else, isn't it? <laughs> just like <Very> recycle, <laughs> recycle, recycle, recycle. Like, there's only so many times you can see this, this what variation. What happened in
0: Bioshock? It. Well, actually, Bioshock, its difficulty ramp is actually insanely hard. Because I put it on the hardest difficulty, and, it's, and the only difference <laughs> is that every bullet that hits you takes about a third of your life, and every health pack you find gives you about one-tenth
1: back. And is this inf- uh, Bioshock Infinite? Yeah. So is that 1999 mode for them, like, or is that uh, yeah, just the normal? I so.
0: It was just like, instead mm-hmm. of, you know, you can take probably 15 hits before dying, yeah. and each health pack gives you, you know, a, f- a fifth back. Yeah. It's just like health packs will do...
1: Less than half as much, and every bullet will do triple. And that that's harder. My issue with Bioshock Infinite, beyond a lot of other things, was just like the, and the same thing my issue with Bioshock 1 was is that the difficulty seemed pointless. Because you put it on easy, and it's just like, who cares? You put it on hard, it's the same bloody game. It's just exactly. it's more frustrating. They, ju- they didn't change anything. They didn't add more enemies. No.
0: They didn't, you know, make things rarer yeah. or make you search
1: harder for items yeah they just ramped up the damage and lowered the heal which is is, I've always considered to be the laziest sort of difficulty increases ever like it's once again you go back to games like the good old days of Dune or uh, Doom Duke Nukem and Blood and all these old school shooters when you crank the difficulty there was a lot of effort that went into it. each level. Was designed with each difficulty in mind. Yep. And as you crank the difficulty, obviously damage. I don't actually. It's not even. Sh- I'm not even sure if damage goes up. But at least with Doom, like enemy placement, like Ultra Violence mm. is the second highest one, and it's the only. It's the functional difficulty in Doom because Nightmare is just a joke. Nobody plays Nightmare. <laughs> but every time you play it on different levels, like a monster may or may not be here, yep. depending on how difficult it is. But it adds to the cha- challenge of the game because. They are actually, it's not that the game is, they're just being cheesy, like, oh, now you've only got 20% health now. It's like, okay. Yeah. Thanks. Now it's just frustrating. The worst is when they give just enemies and bosses more HP. So waste it takes of more bullets. Waste to of kill time. Them. Yeah. And, and that's what Binding of Isaac screwed up. One of my favorite games. Uh, played the hell out of the game. In the, and I'm a myself here because I think it's come out a little bit, come out for a while, but in more recent expansion for it, they had these bosses, but the bosses were damage scaled. Yeah. So you would roll in and you could have just steamrolled the entire game, but the game looks at you and says, oh, you're doing X damage. Okay, well now the boss has uh, yeah. X life yeah. or just X resistance. It just multiplies <laughs> that. So now it's just a timing thing. It results yeah. in more cheesy mechanics of just like, how do I temporarily buff myself up for the fight that breaks this? Yeah. Dumb all it is is just like here let's waste an extra five minutes of your five, oh, five minutes would be lovely <laughs> yeah. i wish time, <laughs> just standing there shooting for a while oh it, it, ridiculous <laughs> it's just not fun and I think you and i got excited because um you started <laughs> i saw you log into dark souls yeah, dark I've souls 3 and i was like <laughs> oh man this is cool because have you ever played any of those games uh, the first one for about five minutes first one for five minutes that's right because we were trying to get it going and uh, hopefully we get three working uh, because I saw that and yeah. as much as you can some people say dark souls is easy and then that those are the tough guys and then you get the 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 casual saying oh hardest game ever man yeah and it's not either of those it, it, it is something a game that you get what you, you what you put in is what you get out. And if you're incredible at the game, you can cheese it and you know everything. If you're if you're not accustomed to these games, it's gonna be very difficult. But it's always most of the time very fair in what yeah. it does. But it's one difficulty. There's no you don't log in and say, let's do easy or yeah. well, let's do hard. But there's the meta Uh, Our meta uh, community sort of easy mode, hard mode stuff, because you can do something and do a build that's considered to be easy mode because the game responds very positively to your actions versus I'm deliberately choosing something like this, which is going to be tougher, Hmm. but it's kind of like playing Street Fighter, picking a a lousier character just to prove how good you are at the game when you clobber your opponent. So, I guess there's like, what I'm getting at is like a more natural evolution of difficulty versus the just built in sort of.
0: The other thing I was really looking forward to when it comes to Dark Souls is I know that it is a, I wouldn't even say a reflex game, (coughs) or like. the combat is very reflex-oriented. Yeah, you need to respond to your enemies. You need enemies to know patterns, real and you need to be able to get your timings right. Yeah, And that's something that a lot of... like I'm just saying that a lot of games have similarities where, uh, let's say, you're spraying and praying constantly with a machine gun. Yeah. And then you've got to kind of sidestep a little bit, right? Yeah. Whereas Dark Souls is very different. Right? Yeah. So I was looking forward to learning a new functionality.
1: Well, I hope we can get it working. I don't know why it's just crashing off the get. You think it's your monitor? Really? Something like it, that? It's either that or uh, just my display settings. And I think I'm still defaulting to that crappy uh,
0: card. So um, I got a new desktop and I'm still working out the kinks. Mm. But I do have a better card in it that... I know can run like GTA Five and uh, and it should definitely run Dark Souls. Oh, too.
1: so you th- you think it's defaulting to the integrated card yeah. for some reason? That's bizarre.
0: Yeah, huh? So anyway, I'll, I'll, I could even go disable the integrated card in the BIOS and then crunch you all out. out yeah, yeah. Why well, would it's built into the motherboard? So I don't think I can physically well, take. Hold it Hold on, give me a screwdriver <laughs> or something.
1: Or but anyway, Jack, uh, what have you been playing lately? Um, I've got a new one for us. Uh, I guess two new ones. Um, it, it's weird. There's this Rosenberg Renaissance occurring oh. right now. So I was telling Just you. Just in your life. In my life. Uh, <laughs> and I say Renaissance. It's, it's more like uh, exploration of games that I've never played by his before, or him before. and Taking it back, right? Yeah. So uh, Uwe Huey Rosenberg is a legendary designer. If you've been listening to the show at all for any amount of time or you're into board games, even if you're not familiar with him specifically, you know his work. Agricola. Yep. Uh Bonanza, Feast for Odin, um, Caverna. These games are legendary, and the man himself is uh, his his genius is never under question.
0: Yeah, I'd say I don't know. I don't know if I can say it anymore, but I'd say that Rosenberg has been, in the past at least, considered the number one developer. Yeah. So
1: it, for us, that means if you see, and I still believe it, if you see his name on something, you know there's this is not your run of the mill like you you turn your head you you quickly look again it's worth a second look now the reason joel no i'll just say it, joel why are you saying or at least he used to be for you i think that the
0: games like before you even knew his name you knew his games kind of thing if you were in at all involved in board games you'd heard of agricola you'd heard of caverna uh hopefully you'd heard of feast for odin because feast for odin was just the godly game even Bonanza, for some unknown reason, was a massive popular game and still is, even though I hate it. So in 2004, he came out with Bonanza, and it was very popular. And then for 10 years, he didn't make another game. And then 2014, came up with Agricola. He just was coasting on that yeah. uh, <laughs> the Bonanza money. But anyway, he's, he's churned out some legendary games. Uh, uh, like, you can... You can start lifting off his games, and there's not a bad one. That's yeah. the thing, right? It's maybe you can say that like uh, Cottage weak. Garden yeah. and uh, Indian Summer and this other spring one that's coming. Yeah, what's our samezy? Yeah, yeah, but they're still samezy of a good
1: game, which uh, is yeah, that's exactly it. So as long as it exactly <laughs> patchwork, exa- patchwork yeah. variations on this, and uh, anyway, so the games we got to try are two games that. Um, One that's been sitting on the shelf for a while, and I just, for some reason, I think it was because, and I'll get to this in a second. um, I think there was just something in the back of my head that just didn't make me want to go grab it and put it down and learn it. Mm -hmm. And the second one we actually just got because there was a Board Game Bliss um, Labor Day sale. And Kayla uh, went online, and well, I told Kayla about it, and there were a couple of things. It wasn't an incredible sale, uh, but there were a couple of things on there that I thought two things that we've both been w- looking at for a while and pulled the trigger on them. And one of them was Fields of Arl, which is mm-hmm. the two-player uh, Rosenberg game. And it co- came before Feast for Odin. And um, That's the one I thought, for some reason, I thought it had something to do with cotton, but there's no cotton in it. There actually is cotton. Oh, is there? Wool, cotton. I'll I'll say it's close enough to that. Cause Sweet. So anyway, so I'll start with the first one. The first game, this one came out, I think it's pre-caverna days forum. him um, I, I could be screwing it up Mercator and it is the most exciting theme in the world it is the 30 years war and you are a merchant in Europe and you're moving from city to city getting cubes that represent things and you take those cubes to another city and turn those cubes into a contract that you take off the board and then you do it over and over and over and over again yeah, something we should mention about Rosenberg, as a developer, is he is Euro through and through, <laughs> <laughs> which will definitely come into play for field, um, fields of Arl, but yeah. I might even pronounce it wrong. Anyway, so Mercator is on the surface the driest game in the world. One of the reasons why I didn't get it on the table for a long time was the box it might be the most boring looking box in the, the- world. <laughs> it is—it's so boring. <laughs> like I, think I felt tired just looking at the box. <laughs> But like I've said on the show before, like you talk about like trading cubes in <laughs> in Europe. Cube pushers. Mm. <laughs> Tell me
0: more. <laughs> See, cube pusher used to be a derisive term, and now it's like almost endearment
1: for some people. <laughs> yeah, we've kind of come like full circle on it. That, yep. it, 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 but for a lot of people, and I don't blame them for taking a dump on Mercator for being boring because it is not an exciting game. But I will say this: I had a lot of fun playing it playing it two player with uh, my girlfriend my girlfriend and mine. <laughs> mine and the part that i thought was interesting was the game went very quickly and there was just enough uh, chaos to make it seem interesting because if there was no it, it's a euro in the sense you can't interfere directly with i can't play uh, plague on joel and mm. he loses all his stuff or his character dies or he loses a turn there's none of that stuff but you're planning stuff in such a way that you're trying to maximize your turns, and this is the kind of cool part of the game. So you have this really fairly ugly-looking map of Europe that's been abstracted to a bunch of squares that have different colors around them. Uh, the game board is kind of neat because you have these um, cardboard, 3D cardboard boxes you've built that you store all the cubes in that represent all the area's goods that are, again, abstracted to different types. So... Uh, Each place has its own uniquely colored cube, but, and see, this is already boring, (laughs) but each cube can represent multiple goods, possibly. So all the food goods, there may be different cubes in them, but they're all considered to be a food at the end of the day Hmm. for certain purposes and certain contracts. Um, But the cool thing is that the other resource is something, time. And just like in real life, going someplace like takes pathway. time away, right? So you start to see this, and something with Rosenberg designs is that as you go on through the years, you start to see things where he's evolved on something. So mm. it's obvious he really liked certain parts of it, and he would, like developed it more, or was like, "What didn't work without this? I'm going to change this. I'm going to this Brought it this. back. Brought it back. So Mercator, I think, is unique for you. The time mechanic is the only thing I've really I can think of, and maybe the way contracts are handled, similar to Caverna with the adventuring. Because in Caverna, if you go adventuring, you're all you always become able to adventure one. Level further after that because you've gotten better at with com- mm. with Mercator. When you complete a contract, you always take the contract level, the next stop or next one higher up, mm. which is more difficult to do. Um, and you just kind of go from there. But what's kind of cool about Mercator is that whenever you go to one place, all it's like pandemic in that you land there and all the connected places explode with cubes. The mm. goods become sort of. Boop, 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 boop. You had some more. They heard you were coming. They heard you were coming. I think something like that. So what you're doing is. If you're playing it, you should be trying to maximize your cube grabbing in the sense of you're not trying to just take one cube necessarily, but you want to look at the bigger picture and you want to try to pop as many cubes into places to maximize your, your visits. Or do like a semicircle around one
0: spot and then jump in there and pick Some, it all yeah, up. Yeah,
1: something like that. So you want to try to do this, but then you're thinking, you're like, oh, I'm so clever, I am so smart. And then Kayla goes and she takes all those cubes you spent time doing and you just look at her and you think, I spent all that time. But it's your fault for leaving all those juicy cubes sitting there. <laughs> it
0: reminds me of uh, playing... What's the one with the fog and you're via Nebula? via yeah, nebula yeah. where yeah. you mine out our area and all yeah. these goods become available <laughs> and then
1: by the time it comes to your turn, everybody else is. Exactly. It all so via nebula does something sort of similar to that, more Wallacy, and that like you, you're the one taking the risk and you yeah. open up this place and you always get first dibs. If you, well, if you plan things right, you could open it on your turn and screw things up so horribly there's nothing left by the time <laughs> it's your turn. That's your fault, yeah. um, but it's. I wouldn't go as far as to compare them directly like that. But anyway, that's Mercator. It went super quickly. The mm. rules were s- like normally when you open a Rosenberg game, and you f- <laughs> you flip through yeah. the rule book and you think, oh man. But it's so thorough. That's the Mercator. Short, very short rule book. The rule mm. overhead is minimal. It's a little confusing at first, like most of these games, but after a, a round or two, you just, like, get into the th- thick of it. When it's... you say
0: that the next contract is harder, is it the reward also greater?
1: Yeah, so at the end of the game, and this is kind of cool, uh, at the end of the game, you, you all your contracts are worth whatever point, uh, what their level is. Hmm. So the higher your contract is, obviously, the more so it's points you're getting. So four as a four, is a four a five is a five. Exactly. So, and the thing is, your contracts never go away unless you decide to... Um, like, you can fulfill the same contract over and over again, but obviously diminishing returns. You want to take the, the next one up to get the mm. more and more points. But you have a contract limit of five, I think. So eventually you're going to get these contracts, and you have to get rid of the, the weaker ones. Mm-kay. And you put them back. So very minimal so you aspect. you can only score it. five of them. Exactly. And theoretically, though, at the end of the last turn, you can end with more contracts, and then you just score the five best. Okay, but, so uh, what's the in-game benefit of a contract? Uh, not a thing. You Just, just VPs. Just VPs. And so you're just working toward it. But there are buildings you can buy. So there is currency. And when you sell a contract, like get rid of it, you get money. And you can turn that into um, VP bonuses. Uh, that affect okay. like, so for... Like, all sorts of things, like cubes in your warehouse of certain types or contracts of, from this country. And then there's bonus cards, which are awesome, too, that whenever you visit, let's say, Denmark, you get X, uh, bonus cubes of this type. And it's kind of funny because we're playing Diplomacy at the same time, and it's all the same areas. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, I'm getting oh. Europe out here. I'm Really, I'm at my edge here, man. <laughs> How are you liking Diplomacy right now? diplomacy is I, I have no idea what i'm doing <laughs> not, a, not a
0: bloody thing i've decided i don't know if i told you this already but yeah. i've decided you've graduated and uh <laughs> and i think you're on your own now that's
1: fine i just <laughs> the only i don't mind the I'll, the only thing i am still not 100 on is certain mechanics of stuff and yeah. that's the sort of things i will continuously ask almost constantly yeah, which is
0: fine as the admin i have to answer those questions for everybody but i think you know the you know, how to move, how to support, yeah. how to convoy. Yeah, That was my goal, I think, was to kind of show you what can happen in yeah. a game and why things happen. And also just kind of give you the principles. Like, yeah. everything should be doing
1: something. If it's holding it, like, who could it help it hold? Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. You know, I've actually had nightmares on a couple of uh, <laughs> evenings. I think I can count on at least two nights, maybe three. Uh, Two nights ago was one of them. And I was laying awake. Like, I'd be sleeping, and in my fevered dreams, I was getting frustrated at diplomacy because in my mind what happened is I, I was looking at the board and all of a sudden Stefan had ships in the above England ah, and the thought, northern sea in the northern there. sea and I was like how did you how did he get there and it was one of these things that everyone else took for granted is like Jack how do you not like know you, the rule you, where you can, you can get here it's kind of I was like, furious it's kind of like <laughs> pandemic where you can you cross the map <laughs> you, just, like, you know like in those games where you go around the side and you just come on the other side that it's it.
0: funny that you were having nightmares because I, I lost some sleep one night <laughs> and I was like just lying in bed at three
1: Three or four in the morning, thinking about the
0: diplomacy, and I'm like, "Why am I?" Doing it's this I don't to know myself? what
1: it's. But I don't care about this game. That's not to yeah. say, like I, I'm not having to spend fun. Like five minutes a day. Yeah, it, 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 it's, But there's all this conversation too, and there's all these yeah. this plotting, and there is just something about diplomacy that it, it's like a. I don't think about it at all through the day, <laughs> not yeah. not except when I have to make a decision. But it was like a worm in my brain that yeah. night, over a couple of nights. Does it feel to you that the stakes are higher? just, like, let's sit down and play a board game? Yes and no. Uh, I think I feel too detached to so feel too invested in it, and that's something that I've been thinking about what it'd be like to play a real-time game of Diplomacy, because I think that would be... Uh, and especially, like, putting a, a hard cap, like, you have 10 minutes to negotiate, go, and I then resolve it And how, what was that
0: like? It was fun, except that I think it, it went horribly, because oh, no. I thought, okay, let's let's see how fun it is to pull some people off into another room. Yeah. So I pulled two people off into another room. The moment you do that, there's four people at the table. Yeah. They all be made a solid alliance for the entire game. Wait, why
1: did you pull two people in the other room? Or it saying-
0: arbitrarily like these are my two neighbors.
1: Oh, so it was you trying to make deals with them. That is that yeah. what you're doing. Oh, okay. It's the first time I'd ever played. Yeah.
0: I think maybe the second time I'd ever played. And so I was like Okay, guys, let's let's work together. Let's do this stuff. And we come back. We write down our orders together. <laughs> we're going to do so great. Yeah. Well, obviously, all
1: the other four people they just... They all just ganged up. And four on three, what do you think happens? <laughs> you won. No. Ah. It, it's... I think the, what diplomacy gets really right that I think some games still don't get right is this sense of just, like, you don't trust anyone. No, ever. <laughs> ever. And you, the alliances are so fragile... And you, you're sitting there, and you make a move, but you're putting your faith in other people to an extent that I don't know how you can walk away from it. You, it what do I always say? Not for sensitive souls. And I think diplomacy <laughs> is something that if you yeah. if you can't handle it, getting yeah, close, somebody lying to your eyes. face,
0: <laughs> there was a really funny moment. Uh, Alex and Stefan were in front of my desk the other day, and Stefan is trying to propose a deal to Alex. Yeah, and Alex says um, they still have flags up in Vienna saying. Uh, remember Serbia. <laughs> 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 That's cute. That's, I like that. Because that was when Alex was supporting him into
1: another territory. And yeah. Everything comes into
0: Serbia.
1: <laughs> and for the record, too, for a dear listener that one of the people we're playing diplomacy with, he plays, uh, what's it called online? Uh, conspiracy. Conspiracy. It's not diplomacy. Don't worry. Just exact yeah. same. And he is ranked thirty. Thirtieth in uh, in the game in the game period. It's not even like regional settings, right? Like just nope, period. There's only one region. Ranked thirty, ridiculous. Absolutely, and Jack crazy. is beating him right now. No, don't talk about something like, just in case he tunes in. <laughs> <laughs> Nine to seven. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so I want to hear about the other one. Yeah. So I'll I'll just touch on briefly. So the second game is something that I've been eyeing up forever because I. I love two-player games designed specifically for two people. I find them to typically be very tight experiences. And because I usually play most of my games two-player, it means a lot to me. And Rosenberg released a game called Fields of Arl, which came out a few years ago. And it was always absurdly priced. That's what bugged me was that it was just something like, what do you want, like $79, 80 bucks for Ooh. this game? It's just oh. For a two-player game. For a two-player game. And it's like you pick it up, it's like, yeah, it's a pretty heavy box. It's pretty heavy. Is it that heavy though? Because Caverna <laughs> was like sim- similarly priced, and yeah. Caverna just you put that down. A Feast for Odin was 115 bucks, I think, or go you put that down. Yeah, regardless. If you're wondering why we think heavy is money, it's <laughs> <Literally. There's>, they <laughs> cost them because there's more stuff. in yes, it. Yes, it. it's very expensive. I'm not. I'm not faulted. There have been times when you picked up a game and gone, "How much was this?" <laughs> and like, and there the other signs. like uh, Fantasy Flight. I find has been incredible lately with their pricing. They've mm. just been nailing it. Twilight Imperium 4 there's a lot of stuff in there is it worth 160 bucks questionable but things like Civilization and uh, Battle for Rook again which I haven't played but it's like you look at the price like how much is this that's, mm. wow that's very reasonable
0: so, I'd love to play that because that's basically what they're saying that they
1: kind of fixed. it's uh, like Game of Thrones game but Thrones, fixed. yeah. and there are some complaints about some objectives but maybe you can just house rule that or who mm. knows anyway Fields of Arl two player game Uwe Rosenberg and uh, believe it or not it takes place in Europe uh, can't get away. You might as well just fly over there and just, spend some time. Just travel around, look Your at these thoughts places. are all in
0: Europe. You know? where, where is Livonia, anyway? <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> Don't
1: look at me. <laughs> Seems to be really popular. <laughs> <laughs> I'll figure out what's going on in Livonia. We'll sort that out. <laughs> really uh, so, Field of Arl, again, two-player game, and is a worker placement game, uh, and but it, you can see the direct evolution t- from it to Feast for Odin. Now you have a giant central action board with extremely front loaded. You hmm. put that down and that's what scary, was scaring me initially. You throw it down. Oh my God, there's there's so much on this board. What am I looking at? All these tiles on the left of buildings, all these actions in, on the left side and the right side for spring oh. and winter. In the middle, there's all these little, you take these little adorable discs and you stack them up and they represent your tools. Like how many fishing traps you have or how many axes or shovels. Um... And there's all this symbology. Is that the right word? Yeah, that's it's it's things that you don't need to translate in the rules. Exactly. Because it's a symbol. Yeah, the symbol, which is the best thing. Like, and first, for, for to be fair, like a lot of it's very basic stuff, like an arrow that's looping around, like it means turn the tile over. Mm. Basic stuff. Different colored arrows. You're starting to get into a realm of like, oh geez, Uh-oh. now I'm flipping in here and looking like, okay, a gray arrow does this, and a red or a green arrow does that. I don't think it's green, but anyway. Is worker placement? Everyone has eight actions a turn. You've got these adorable thicker uh, cylinders that you're kind of putting things down on there, and you put it down and do exactly what it says, without exception, uh, or with very little exception. It's pretty basic stuff, mm. and um, it abstracts the resources. I'd say seventy-five percent in that you've got on the side of your other board. So you've got your own. You've got two of your own player boards too. So you've got a barn. <laughs> You have a barn where you're putting they things, put like vehicles. Together? They're gigantic, Joel. Oh, okay. No, impossible. <laughs> and then you've got something like with Caverna or Agricola people will look at and say, oh, I've got my own fields, right? You do have your own fields. It is way simpler than Caverna or Agricola. You don't have to worry about filling them all up. You don't have to worry about all that stuff. You don't have to worry about where you're putting them, like connecting things. You have to feed your family. You have to feed people. But it is easy, absolutely easy. If you are not feeding people... I can't even say something's gone horribly wrong. You've just failed entirely in this game. Feast for Odin easy? Uh, <clears throat> yes. Maybe, probably easier to feed people mm. than Feast for Odin. Because Feast for Odin, there's a really hard decision where you're... There, there's there's Decision shape, shape issues. Shape issues where you're looking at that and you're like, oh, man, I can I can always feed my this this these boisterous Vikings, but do I want to? <laughs> these pieces are so much better. But this is where all these elements are coming in because all these tiles can be flipped over, and you get basic goods, and they're worthless—not worthless, but they're not—they're worth twice as, twice as many points if you manage to craft them or make them better. Mm. And just like in *Feast for Odin*, you can make these things uh, better or easier put on your board in places after you flip them. But what *Field of Arl does really well is that you get these vehicles, these carriages and whatnot, and you purchase them, and they take lots of wood or clay, and you put them on your board. And you've also got these travel locations. And what you can do is you can you take these things and you put them on your your wagon. And you're basically saying, I'm going off to Essen, or whatever the old name for Essen is. And you have all these goods in your supply, and then you're allowed to basically trade them in this place. And you turn these always into food, which is kind of like a currency in the game. And when you're done with it, you flip over location, you put it on the side there, and it forms this little path on the side of your board. And as it covers up spots, it's covering up points that have lower value until eventually you've built up all the way up to mm. the end of this more thing. So it's very pretty. But it's also extremely satisfying that you can also use these carriages, You put undeveloped goods and you put them on there, and then you immediately flip over because it's like you've taken them to someone. I took them to my good friend Joel who took all this boring leather, and, and now you got boots and this sweet-ass jerking. <laughs> how you doing? Nice jerking, man. Yeah. So little things like that, and the game moves very quickly once you know how things work. And it yeah. felt like a very smooth relaxing it's not the i how am I going to feed my family this winter in Agricola It's more like how am I going to make money this winter and so it's the setup is daunting The setup is extremely daunting it's it is it will frighten you if if this is your first Rosenberg game you're gonna be terrified <laughs> uh, it
0: also sounds like he's thrown um Throwing everything at you. Like it it there's is a lot of v- variety of content.
1: Yeah, th- and that's a fair thing to say. Is that there's there's a little bit of everything, but it's none of it is is you're not being choked out like in uh, some other games. It's all there. It's very difficult to do v- to do things wrong. It's very easy to do things not as good as you could. So so where does where does it sit on the scale of Rosenberg games for heaviness?
0: Would you say it's between Agricola and Feast Froden, or would you say it's
1: uh, it, Caverna Zone or uh, somewhere along. It's definitely heavier than Patchwork, I can tell you that right away. Yeah, so if we're using this, like, say, like, Patchwork's near the bottom of Complexity. Um, I put Bonanza above Patchwork as far as Complexity goes, because there's there's just, like, some, there's weirdness to it. That you have to talk
0: to people, which is the worst.
1: Yeah, right, you have to actually negotiate, whereas <laughs> Patchwork is just like, you do this, you're silently sitting there. Um, I, may, It could just be my prejudice. I don't think Feast for Odin's that complicated. I think it's, if explaining okay. it to somebody... Like, ooh! <laughs> like, what are, so buckle in, folks. We're here for but something. But you're upgrading goods. So there's yeah. like in Feast Froden. What there's like each good is takes four the, tiers. Everything's got it. Well, but that's it. Feast Froden's got this like next step up. What is this? And it's what's this next step up from this? Whereas this, there's none of that. Every okay. good is just like flip it over. Things. Just two things. Okay. So it's simpler than that. It's a cow and a pregnant cow. There's not even cow and pregnant cow in this. And <laughs> something else too, which is unique. Before I forget, and before I talk too much about this, is that. It's a rare Rosenberg game for you, him to let you have more than two animals. Uh, yeah, and you you could have twenty cows. You get one cow in the winter. Yeah. Enjoy it. In this one, depending on your buildings. Um, you can get multiple. Which you cut loose, To let you have multiple uh, newborns. Uh, wow, which is, multiple
0: oh. newborns! You guys don't know. You what don't that's get it. Like. Man. <laughs> you don't get it until you play. Trying to he's... keep your two animals alive <laughs> so that to. you can make one
1: animal <laughs> without feeding it to your family. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> it's it's something else. So in this game, you can go like crazy with the the livestock as well, and there's just there's so much available to you. And I'd love to really get it down, really get my sink my teeth into it. The only issue is that again, it's so front loaded that and it's one of these games that when you're setting it up and you're you're kind of teaching it or learning it for the first time, you can you're looking at I'm looking at Kayla, and I can just see there's there's some worry. The <laughs> life so, training so, so, from her eyes. I wouldn't go that hard, She's but being it's, a good sport, being a good sport. But uh, it was I really liked it. That's the bottom line. It, the components are top notch. It's very, it, despite how daunting it looks, it is extremely easy to learn. And once you get the flow down, it's very good. My only issue is it's very dry. Again, it's not as dry as Mercator, which is Mercator is like, let's read the history of Europe. We went here. It took us two days. Whereas fields of arles let's learn about the history of fields of arles i went here and got some fish mm i like fish fish is fun it, it's just it's <laughs> it's like it's dry when you reduce to what it actually is but it's bright and it's, it's colorful and it's fun yeah. and that's the maybe best thing it feels a little more personal too maybe a little more personal because you all do you do have your board that you're developing up to and you mm. do get to look at it and there's just this constant sense of you're getting better and doing more things and that's something that i think rosenberg does so well is that when you get his games when you when you're playing a game of his right and it's other games too like i'd say like you're playing concordia today when you get rolling mm. there's this sense of that i've got not an engine necessarily but just Things are clicking. I've mm. built things properly, and now I can actually make use of my hard work throughout the game. And by the end, you just like one more turn just to get things even more. So, which
0: one's more mm. engine building, uh, Mercator or Fields of Our, Ar- Fields of 100%. Fields Laurel? Hundred. What are the points in that?
1: How yeah. do you win? Uh, travel locations, the value of your goods at the end of the game, value of buildings, how well you've filled up your home board. There's the it's it's variety. A, you get. Let's just say you get a pad of paper to uh, go yeah, through yeah, the yeah. things. It's it's basic It's very like simple. That. And it's very difficult to lose points. Let's just say that. The only... You have to... You have dykes. You have to... Like, you can't... Your fields... Half your board is basically cut off until you get rid of... Uh, uh, peat mosses, or, or moors, mm. they have to dehydrate, then you remove the peat moss, which you have to cook for every winter, and sometimes mm. you trade it to turn things into clay. Oh. And they're, they're, they're actually cubes for some reason, which is kind of cute. But, um, but you, the fields, you can't use them until you've diked up a whole whole line of it. At the mm. very top, you, lose, you can lose nine points if you didn't finish all your dikes at the end of the game, which is pretty significant considering the point value. But what do we finish with? Kayla... Had like 88 points, and I had 85 points at the end of the game, and <laughs> it was it felt hard fought. And that yep. it was fun, and that's that's sounds the best like a game. really good game. It was especially for your first game, for a first game too. And it's it helps that we've played so many variations on a the theme. Which I don't want to sound cynical, but it's like you played one, you played them all, sort of. Yeah, you you at least understand where he's coming from. It's not like brand new mechanic where like, and that's what was confusing with Mercator at the time because none of it felt. The same, yep. except for a couple things, and,
0: and like us saying, like, oh, Rosenberg is the best. Well, like, if you don't like worker placements, then no, he's not. no, he's not even <laughs> no. close to the best, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if you like
1: co ops, you're gonna be the same at Leo Cox, the best, game. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's fun. That's yep. all I'll say. Played at a cafe. I th- I know the boardroom is a copy. The only issue is the table footprint on it's enormous. It is absolutely <laughs> atrocious. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm just looking at this ta- this desk in front of us right here. It would be wouldn't be big enough. It wouldn't. I'd have to flip up the the, the
0: board here to That's actually the get over. Major limitation. I was actually thinking about today. We we're playing Concordia, and yep. the board goes across the whole table in the kitchen, yeah. and then we're off in the corners, off to the side. And I was just like, wouldn't it be nice to have a table. That was just a gaming table. It was like yeah, a felt yeah. pool table with yeah, cup holders. Yeah. Yep. But then where do you put
1: it? <laughs> you need to have enough space in your house to have a game room. It's like if you have a pool table, obviously it's pro mode. Because yeah. like and you can, even though I think you, you want a variation on a pool table because like it's so deep. You want a poker table. You want a poker table. That's yeah. ideal. Like a nice long poker table. And a lot of them are actually foldable. Um, yeah. Is it as good as like having a dedicated one? No. But... It's better than Nothing. Who, I want one. I want, to <laughs> make it, one. I want to make one. There are all these guides online, too. If you go to Board Game Geek and you search DIY Board Game Table, there are tons <laughs> of guides there where guys are saying, I built my own for. Hundred fifty bucks, yeah. and but then they don't they, they leave out the part where it's like and then I use my planer to yeah it. exactly Wait You it a have second. all the tools and <laughs> yeah. the
0: tools are really the prohibitive thing yeah. and you know like you see these people that have like carved a scythe, game, scythe board and stuff and <sighs> man that's hardcore etched in where yeah, the yeah. cubes go and stuff oh, man, That's so cool that's pretty cool yeah. <laughs> speaking of scythe I get to play the expansion I know we're probably music time or well past it but uh well let's, see let's here let's talk about yeah the uh so the the new scythe expansion is yep. highly anticipated and i don't think it disappoints it's
1: a it's a sort of a legacy uh it's more of a campaign because legacy is it's not like there's any permanent changes it's just you go through it and you kind exactly. of keep it right. rise You're of fenris not the board rise
0: of fenris yeah and there's so there's a new race uh the fenris and they you kind of encounter them on the game in the game oh neat and then they change the game and i think eventually somebody gets to play as them oh cool which is pretty cool i don't want to spoil her too much yeah, but yeah, yeah. you know things might happen when you get to the factory that you don't expect like, that's cool kind of there there's a box in the factory and you don't know what it What's is and in when the you box? get there you open it and something happens and if you're not ready for it oh
1: look out yeah I, it's got to be a matter of time before they release scythe legacy yeah like why not? It's so such a simple idea. You don't have to go oh. Can you imagine if you did like so? If people who already have base scythe, it's like two different versions. Like you can use your figures from base scythe to mm. use it on this. Removal stickers, maybe removal stickers. Something like you don't not even talk about the board. Like, sell me the board. I don't care. Right. That's fine. But it's, I can implement the stuff I've already got from my base scythe. But why not have a, a legacy game set in the scythe universe or in the like leading up to the the factions of scythe yeah. as is like the to post-war. Be fair, they could have done that with pandemic. <laughs> 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 Absolutely. It's I. I just think we're gonna there's I think we're going to be complaining about too many legacy games in the future. I think that's <laughs> yeah. what's going to be the, the next Android's Dungeon uh, kvetching point. Well, once there's a couple of bad ones. I know Seafall was bad, but. Yeah, well, it, what's odd is that I think nobody remembers Seafall. So it was so <laughs> immemorable <laughs> that. Uh, unmemorable? That uh, nobody <laughs> just like, see what? Yeah, what was that? All right. Oh, so, what it was a legacy, wasn't it? <laughs> well, what was it? Like $12 clearance at something yeah. or $5. So we will take a quick music break, but we'll be back in a second. Stay tuned. Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM, which you just heard was Mackie's theme by Le Matos from Summer of 84 soundtrack, uh, a flick that came out kind of recently. I had, didn't know it was an actual movie. I've been so deep down this rabbit hole of the uh, the synthwave stuff that I see these things and there's so many fake movie soundtracks people put out mm, things for that yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, Summer of 84. It sounds exactly like a generic Sort of like, oh, I imagined like a concept album. Of, I, I made this music to go to a movie that didn't exist. but the track titles were so evocative, I'm thinking, I wonder if this is real or not. And then it turns out it actually was a flick. and we yeah. should
0: watch that. the title the just the hook on the the clip you sent me was uh, enticing.
1: It sounds good, and I've everybody
0: heard... lives next to a serial killer.
1: Yeah, and the the red letter media guys were talking about it, how um it, they in their their catch up movies of this year, like they do like a show of like just talking about the brief blurbs of the flicks they saw, but they didn't talk about it, uh, on the show. And the one guy was saying he saw something Ready Four, and uh, they were joking about how it was actually in production before Stranger Things. And the, the joke is that like because the premise is the the idea of like you were saying. They the kids yeah. there are a bunch of kids in the neighborhood who ride around on bicycles in the eighties eighty four almost, and they think that their next door neighbor who's a cop may be a kidnapper. Yeah. And the the joke was that they probably had this movie in production, we're getting ready to finish it, and Stranger Things comes out, and they just think, "Damn it!" Because <laughs> <laughs> now they look like they copied these guys with Throw just this out. aesthetic. But apparently, the movie is is good. Like the intro is kind of or the first part is kind of boring, but then it takes it like a crazy turn halfway through.
0: Maybe everybody saw it and was like. Mm. What can we do with this? <laughs> it,
1: yeah, it maybe I do Something would, in the air is it, it's more of a seventies flick, though, isn't it? Or um, yeah, probably. Yeah, either way. It spans. It starts in the fifties, if you. Look starts at the point. correct right, yeah. and then well, I guess sixties. Then is where it's set because how old it, blah, whatever. When is <laughs> well, part two it's coming? It skips
0: generations, so yeah. it'll be like fifties, seventies, nineties. I think nineties is, is that works? when it was actually uh, when
1: they're adults or yeah. More. It's not a word on the second part, eh? Uh, that The trailer was real, right? Was it? I didn't watch no. it because I thought it was fake. It might be fake. No, I, I think it's real. Hmm. I've been watching a lot of Castle Rock. Have you seen any of that? mm Give it a watch. Yeah. Um, it's set in the... It's basically, imagine a world where all these Stephen King sort of characters exist. Or the world... Like, because it's set in the fictional town of Castle Rock. Mm. And um, they... There are all these little nods, the other things, but it's, it's the most Stephen King TV series you'll watch that, isn't, that has no connection to Stephen King really? like, directly. I think he's a producer, and J.J. Abrams is a producer, but his hands are fairly off it, so it's not as, like, it's, it's, it's not like, bad J.J. Abrams, stay away from here, it's, it's yeah, fine. He's, it's like a Stephen King tribute? Yeah, that's basically it, but it's not, it doesn't come across as, it, the best comparison is the Fargo TV series, Outstanding, hmm. has virtually no connection to the Fargo movie. And But it's kind of like this world, like Coen Brothers-esque the area, universe yeah. in this huh. world. Highly recommend it. It's actually spooky, extremely well-acted. The reason I bring it up is that um, Scarsgard, Bill Scarsgard, who plays mm. uh, the clown, Pennywise, in it, he plays an, uh, the villain, more or less, in this. But it's not an explicit sort of like twirling his mustache. It's a very subtle um deranged character that nobody understands i don't understand yet maybe the mm-hmm. most recent episode explains it but there's just something about him that uh the way he carries himself that's just unsettling he's an eerie man he's an eerie man he looks slightly odd too. yeah <laughs> it's just but it's weird because he opens his mouth or sometimes he looks and he looks exactly like his brother uh the sexy yeah. alexander <laughs> skarsgård <laughs> always a good guy always the good guy so yeah he's never although in true blood he was the bad guy but, uh, so. yeah. Uh, so we don't have too much time left, but um, we were going to talk. Well, I think we'll burn through two things quickly here, real quick. Uh, first is uh, they kind of tie together. Yeah, kind of tie together. I, th- I think. Wait, why don't you get started, Joel? Well, the, <laughs>
0: the reason I I was mentioning the 18XX thing is yeah. that I feel like as a somebody who can you know like take a conversation like it all came back to the guys in Saskatoon. Yeah. Uh, these guys are running a convention. They're yeah. regular gamers. They know tons about games. I felt good that I could maintain a conversation with them, but then they started talking about 18XX games,
1: and I drew a blank. I don't know any. And you were going to talk about... Well, I was going to talk about... uh, So we did something last night with a bunch of different people, kind of this neighborhood crawl of sorts, and and... one of the subjects that came up was because uh, I forget how it was. I think Kale was talking to somebody and they said, oh, you really like board games. Do you like board games? Yeah, we like board games. It's great. And the guy turned to me and said, do you like Sushi Go? And I think I was a little I, I may have had too much to drink and I just did this I just did a really kind of like, a, oh. I just did a solid nod like this. I mean, it wasn't rude. I don't think it was yeah. rude, but it wasn't as like, yeah Sushi Go! And then the, his wife or his girlfriend turned around and said, oh what about Pandemic? Do you like Pandemic? I love Pandemic. And I just did the same thing. I just did this, this nod and this smile. Like I wasn't, I, I wasn't trying to be rude, let's say that. Then someone yeah saying Pandemic's my favorite game ever, uh, and then, but like, what you're saying here is like, how do you? T- what's is it elitist? Like how it's just like yeah. I lo- oh I love movies. My favorite movies. Which favorite movie? Transformers? It's yeah. it's like okay. Well, <laughs> what do you do? You're not going to be you're not going to be mean. And these aren't. I'm not trying to say Transformers and Pandemic are on the same level of like pop but that culture trash. That, but, like. Um, I have a friend on our soccer team Melanie
0: yeah. she loves Pandemic it's yeah. one of her favorite games and she told me I love Pandemic I'll play it anytime yeah. and so I turned to Sam and I said well this girl wants to come over she wants to be her friend and she wants to play Pandemic said, Yeah, like I don't want to play Pandemic come yeah, yeah, on yeah. let's play something good I said okay well how about she comes over, <laughs> we play pandemic with her, and then. and then we bring out like a
1: real game right? So I think you kinda gotta start on their level. And that's exactly it. And this is not meant to be condescending. It is elitist in the most literal sense, but yeah. it's it you have to understand, folks, that for us, pandemic and something like Catan are just like so low level. This and this I'm not saying low energy, but just yeah. like entry level stuff that it takes some. It takes us being in a certain mood or trying to be very generous to to get these on the table. Or yeah. maybe I'm just speaking for myself in this case. But it, I see it as a learning opportunity to like say, "Oh, you like pandemic? Well, how about?" And then just yeah. introduce something else. And, and Let's <laughs> try forbidden desert, or <laughs> forbidden desert, something along those lines. And it was kind of bad because there are enough people around at that point. And Kale is like eight people. That's that's Captain Sonar territory. But <laughs> yeah. that'd well, be so kind of interesting. Go, you could play she Seven go. Wonders or yeah, or another. Uh, well, it would be another drafting salad. game. Like, yeah. I don't know if it, Seven Wonders might be a mess, but yeah. anyway. And then tying in the 18XX, like for I don't. We're not gonna have too much time to dive into that today, but I, for, first off, I'm not an expert on 18XX. It's I know about what it. Is it? Can you tell us what it, it is? 18XX refers to a series of games that are inspired by Francis Tresham. Of civilization fame, mm-hmm. yep. an Avalon Hill game. I believe the first one he did was 1829. And they revolve around trains, 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 trains. And it's not just something simple like Ticket the Ride where you're drafting cards and laying down routes. No, my friends. It is, it is a simulation uh, of being a railway baron mm-hmm. in the turn of the century sort of stuff. And what you're doing is you typically have companies you're investing in. You have to worry about floating companies. You keep money separate. So the company's money is not your money, even if you're running the company. You use that money to build routes. You run your trains. Um, As time goes on, you have to get new trains. And your trains rust or uh, go obsolete quickly. Hmm. And you're fighting people who are buying stocks and shares of the company because if they buy certain shares. So your company is doing well. People are buying lots of shares. But I see Joel has tons of shares in my company. And I'm like, well, screw you, Joel. And I dump shares onto the market. I tank the price of the company. Joel's left holding the bag of this worthless company <laughs> now, this, this train that's going nowhere. And then he turns around, he makes tons of money, and wins. But basically a series <laughs> of games of running train companies, people investing in them, and shenanigans involving routes. Is and, there always a market? Uh, for the most part. There's so many different types of...
0: Have there, yeah, have there been real variations
1: where people are like, this is not a true 1886? I think there are. Um, it depends who you talk to because there's tons of, like, if you search 18-something, you'll the that's, list will be That's gigantic. the other thing.
0: Is there a generally agreed-upon rule that you can't take a year that's already been done, and so eventually there'll be 100 and no one will ever be able to make one well, again? Well,
1: I'm waiting for people to do the updated versions of them. Like, okay. do, like, 20, uh, 24... Uh, 2432 or something It's like doing <laughs> Futuristic train Futuristic train Which I think would be fascinating Because Very cool I, Again we're getting into Kind of going back to Mercator and Fields of Aral Boring Absolutely boring Can you imagine pointing out The box of 1830 Which looks boring as hell Of just this Guy with mutton chops And a cane And there's a train In the background And the yeah. number title the, the name of the game Is a number <laughs>